Welcome to the Radio Plasma podcast. This is a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also available on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Today, our guest is somebody who has a long trajectory of being always there to help people. An activist, a mother, a wife, an educator, city councilor for the city of Holyoke. Today, we have as a guest, Josie Valentin. Thank you, Josie, for being here. Welcome to Ready Plasma. Thank you. Gracias por tenerme aquí en el programa. Let's start talking about, about you. Because the idea of these conversations is not only to talk about what is the day-to-day -day job and work that everybody knows you do, but how everything came to be what it is right now because of your background, your origins, your story. So I guess it is good to start uh, in Puerto Rico. Okay. So I'm actually going to be 40 years old in what day is today? Let's see. So in a couple of days. So if I look back at my first 40 years, at this point, I've lived part of my life here in Massachusetts and part of my life in Puerto Rico. I was actually born in Connecticut because uh, my mother was going to grad school at UConn. And so from birth to the age of seven, I lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut. At the age of seven, she felt that we really needed to be in Puerto Rico with family, make sure that those connections were happening. And so I was there from the age of seven to the age of 21, which is when I moved to Massachusetts to go to grad school, and I never left. So I've had the experience of going to school in both areas. And my mother always uh, sent me to, she made many, many sacrifices, and always sent me to private bilingual schools. And so I think that's also part of how I ended up in the United States was because that was kind of the expectation once you were in these private bilingual schools. So Puerto Rico was, was great. It was um, where all my family was. My family is very small. Uh, there's only four between my mother and her brothers and sisters. Only two of them are still alive. And between the four of them, they had seven children. So, and that's us as nieces and nephews. And three of us do not have biological children. So the, the pool keeps shrinking. So our family is very, very small, but uh, very united. And so when I left Puerto Rico at the age of 21 to come here, I'm an only child. So that was uh, a bit of a a process uh, for my mom and, and for my family in general because I was leaving the nest. But the reason I landed here was because when I was in Puerto Rico and I did my undergrad at the University of Puerto Rico, uh, Rio Piedras campus, La Yupi, very proud. And when I was there in my junior year, I actually came to UMass Amherst as an exchange student. I fell in love, excuse me, with the Pioneer Valley. And uh, at that point, I had also come out as, as a gay person. And so coming to an area like Northampton, Amherst, was obviously paradise compared to Puerto Rico in the 90s, which uh, really was not the best place to be as an out person. So when I finished my exchange year at UMass Amherst, I decided to go back to Puerto Rico, finish my bachelor's. I did a year of a master's there uh, in school psychology. It was not my cup of tea. And so I came here. I came originally to Northampton, and then in 2005, I moved to Holyoke, which is where I've been since then. 
And your background in psychology also led you to meaningful work. And that will be the next point to know about your experience working, helping people with different situations, struggling with mental health issues mm -hmm. and also with addictions. Yeah. So basically, uh, when I came here in 98, the first job that I had was at ServiceNet in Northampton. I worked with their uh, mental health crisis team. I was the, they called it the triage coordinator at that point. So this is the person that answers the phone when someone calls a crisis team. And that was the best schooling that I ever received in mental health and substance abuse treatment. And it was a, a great learning experience for me. It was a great opportunity to grow. I was only 21 at that point. And so I did that for about a year. This was, um, like I said, in Northampton. And one of my colleagues at ServiceNet, who's uh, been a friend for many years, was looking at the newspaper, because, you know, back then people would read the newspaper, everything wasn't online. And she saw a job posting for the executive director at Casa Latina in Northampton. And she said, you need to apply to this. And I said, well, I don't know that I have the experience for that. I was 22 at that moment. And I had only been in Massachusetts living for about a year. And I felt that this was way too big of a job for me. And she said, I really need the, I, I really think you need to apply. So I did. And I got the job. And so it was through a, a contract with Cooley Dickinson Hospital because it was a, about an $800,000 grant from the Department of Public Health here in Massachusetts. And it was really to do HIV AIDS prevention, education, particularly with the Latino community in the Northampton area and in Hampshire County in general. And so again, another chapter to really have some amazing growth. My first encounter with the Latino community of Western Mass was in that role. And uh, never would I have thought back then that I would be where I am now in my role as a city councilor here in Holyoke. So I met some great people there, people that were really good mentors to me. And because I was within that system of Cooley Dickinson, other opportunities kind of came through and were presented to me. And I was told that uh, they were going to be opening a new substance abuse treatment program here in Holyoke. And that it, there was no staff, there was no name for the program, there was no location yet, everything had to be from scratch. And they said, we think you need to run this program and it could be yours. And again, another opportunity where I kind of said, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. And here I was again in this same scenario. And I ended up taking that challenge and it was amazing. Um, it's called Arbor House. It's on Pine Street in Holyoke. It's been an operation at this point about 16 years. Um, we opened it on the day of my birthday in 2000. And we had literally no clients, no furniture. We were just hiring staff. And it was an amazing opportunity. I ran that for five years. And while I was there, I was um, given the opportunity to go to grad school. And so I went ahead, did my master's in forensic psychology, um, prepared to take the exam for the licensed alcohol and drug counselor test here in Massachusetts, and decided at that point, I had run Arbor House for five years, about 2,000 clients had gone through at that point when I left. I still remember most of them. I now see many of them at my work in HCC, which is very, very rewarding. And so because I now had this master's in forensic psychology, I figured I needed to find a new opportunity that was within the criminal justice system because that was what the degree was in. So I accepted the position to be the director for the psychiatric unit at the Ludlow Jail. And although that was an amazing experience, it is a job that really, really burnt me. 
at that point, I had been on call for 24 hours between Arbor House and um, the jail and all these other job opportunities. I had been on call pretty much eight years straight, and I was burnt out. <laughs> so that's what led me to Holyoke Community College, and I've been there for 10 years. I'm a senior academic counselor there, so I do academic advising all day, every day. And um, that is my full-time job. And as a quote-unquote part-time job, uh, I'm a city counselor here in Holyoke. Holyoke Community College, I believe it is blessed and lucky to have you as a mentor, Thank you. as an educator, as someone who supports and really helps students and the community in the, in the college to get through many different situations. Mm-hmm. It could be a long list of different stories that I know mm-hmm. you could share. But for you, what is the most meaningful outtake you can have from this experience Mm -hmm. helping and engaging with students and the youth? To me, I mean, it's first of all, the fact that community college is such an amazing place because you have, you know, your 18 year old student that just came out of high school. And then you have your 65 year old student who just got laid off, you know, or, you know, they're on unemployment, they're looking for a career change, they're clearly a non-traditional student. And to us, both of those students are equally as important, and their success is, you know, crucial to us. So the fact that community college really motivates people to be in a place where we are kind of reaching them at the level that they're at, right? It's not that they came out of high school, they went to a four-year school, everything is very structured, you have to have 15 credits, you have to live on campus. You know, the story of every student at HCC is is amazing and it's individual. And to me, that's a very powerful thing. And so we are given a huge responsibility to be able to navigate the system with these students to take them from the minute they come in, you know, for the first time, scared, not knowing what to expect, not having any idea what financial aid means, (laughs) and, you know, leading them throughout all their process at the college until that day of graduation. So for me, the most rewarding is not only these students, you know, that are brand new, that come, you know, through the high school, that are the, you know, our seniors. We have a lot of seniors that also take classes at HCC, but for me, the most rewarding is when when I meet a student because they are either struggling with you know personal issues or they're on academic probation and they're you know at the border of getting dismissed from the college, and we're able to work together, turn around their academic progress, and see them walk through that stage across that stage at commencement every year. That to me is is the most rewarding that that process of every single chapter being being with them and, and being there to support them. So after all this time helping people and engaging, knowing the different situations, problems, mm-hmm. scenarios that happen uh, all across the city, mm-hmm. how does this connect to the point where you become interested in serving as a city councilor? So for me, you know, I've, I've been at the college for 10 years. Um, in addition to being a, a senior academic counselor there, I'm the president of our college senate. I'm the grievance officer for our union. So I've put myself in situations where I'm helping the college community in different ways, the students, the staff, and the faculty, and the administrators sometimes too. And so I kind of always would be in this position where I would be engaged with different things that perhaps were happening in the community in Holyoke, you know, thinking about folks that have been in Holyoke for a very long time doing work with the community, you know, Betty Medina, Lichtenstein, 
you know, Orlando Isasa, who worked at the college with me, um, just to name a few. You know, these are folks that when there were different events at the community, when there were different projects or fundraisers or initiatives um, at the local high schools, you know, our, our feeders from Holyoke, our main feeders are Holyoke High and Dean Tech. So we've always tried to have a very close relationship with the community there, particularly the Latino community. And so kind of having all these different um, threads that I was involved with, myself and with my wife, uh, Miriam Quinones, who we actually met at the college 10 years ago, and she's been in Holyoke for 28 years, so she beat me. Uh, she's been here way longer than me. But um, between both of us, we were always kind of involved in community events and, and initiatives. And so it just kind of felt that it was time to get involved in a different way. And so for me, I think the catalyst was uh, I was a volunteer for Alex Morse's first campaign in 2011 as mayor. And that kind of made me more aware of local politics and what the different roles were in terms of city council, in terms of the mayor, and all the other you know, elected officials at the local and state level. And so I feel that it just kind of all merged at the same time where it was that extra push that I needed to, um, to myself get involved in, in that way. And, and also looking at the issue of representation in, in local politics. You know, we have 15 city councilors and only four of us are Latino. And almost 50% of the city is Latino. So even if you just look at it mathematically, the numbers are not there. So, you know, there's a phrase that um, someone told me a while back that says, you know, if you're not at the table, you may be on the menu. And um, I think that applies in many different areas of our lives. You know, it can happen anywhere we are. And I think politics is not an exception of that. And so I, I feel that, you know, being a woman, being Puerto Rican, being gay, being somewhat on the younger spectrum, um, turning 40, like I said, in a couple of days, it just felt that there, that voice was not necessarily at that table. And so I, I'm now in my second term. Our terms are two years, as you know, and uh, my plan is to run again next year. Through those two terms, obviously there are other number of issues and matters that you have the opportunity to be involved with uh, mm -hmm. now into the politics life of, mm -hmm. of the city. And with this also, it became now, if I could call it a mission for you to stand out for the community, stand out for the representation you talk about. And pretty much you have become an activist, a strong activist, an example for many people in the city about those issues that are being sometimes talked about, mm -hmm. but sometimes not really yep. somehow avoided yep. because of the nature of those issues. So how it is right now your, your mm -hmm. position into being this active mm -hmm. voice and representation for the community? So for me, you know, I, I think about a couple of examples. As you know, December of 2014, a group of us decided to do a Black Lives Matter protest here in Holyoke. And only two of us participated as city councilors. And we were both strongly attacked for that. We still are. Uh, we received, uh, the other councilor was uh, councilor at large, Rebecca Lisi, who's been there for a couple of terms as well. And, you know, we were both attacked not only by members of the community in general who are, quote unquote, our constituents or, you know, folks that are voters in Holyoke, but also from uh, places of power. And, uh, you know, we, we received two letters from members of the Holyoke Police Department, one from the supervisors union, 
and one from the patrolman union. And both of them uh, were regarding questioning our motives for participating in the protest. And also, did this mean that we were anti-police and how could we be trusted making decisions as city councilors with, for example, the Holyoke Police Department budget? And this is explicitly in the letter. I mean, this is not, you know, an exaggeration. This is not my interpretation of what was sent to us. This is clearly the language that is there. And, you know, it, it picked up a lot of media because I think that at that point, when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, it was not where it is right now, which is uh, has many more supporters, is much stronger, is more kind of what's expected, you know, that people are going to understand why movements like this are important and standing up for all these social justice issues is crucial. But at that point, it, it almost felt like, how dare these elected officials, you know, challenge the status quo? And so to me, it's it's one of those pieces that, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I continue to stand for what I believe is right. And I continue to speak up about what I believe is wrong. And so this all happened, you know, in the middle of my first term. And so when my opponent uh, last time around decided to, you know, run, the only kind of talking point was always around this issue. And uh, I won my reelection with 80% of the vote. And I thank my ward for that, Ward 4, which has been fully supportive of this voice that I have chosen to partake in. Because, you know, it's easy to just kind of skate through as a politician. It's easy to just keep everyone happy, you know, think that everyone is pleased with whatever minimum work you're doing. But that's not who I am. My mother passed away in 2007. And if she was alive today, she would say, keep pushing, because that is how she raised me. Um, She herself was an activist. Um, She was in the protests in the 1970s in Connecticut when the teachers went on strike because of their contract. And she didn't tell me that until I was an adult, because when she left for that protest, she actually was arrested. And um, she had my aunt take care of me. And she basically said to my aunt, I don't think I'm coming back home today. And so the fact that she waited until I was an adult to tell me that was her indication that maybe there was something wrong about doing this, or maybe she didn't, you know, she didn't want me to feel that this was embarrassing or something along those lines. And so as soon as she told me, my reaction to her was, that's amazing. I wish you would have told me a long time ago. (laughs) And so these are conversations that I was able to have with her until she passed in 07. And she always supported, you know, whatever I decided to do, even if it was going to get me in trouble. And so I think that she, if she was around, she would definitely be very proud of, of the times that as a community, we have spoken up against different types of injustice. And I think, you know, she probably would have been there right there with me. So part of it, I think, is also continuing this legacy that I didn't realize my mother had until I was in my 20s. And talking about this legacy from mother to daughter, Mm -hmm. you're a mother as well. Yep. How this also reflects in your life, in your experience, what do you want to pass on Mm -hmm. to her? So it's, it's interesting you ask that because a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, is, is your daughter interested in, in this type of, you know, being an activist and getting involved? And so my answer to that is it depends. 
Um, she is, uh, she's going to be 17 in a couple of days. She, her birthday is actually two days after mine. And um, she's my wife's biological daughter, but she became my daughter pretty much when we got together, when she was six. And um, that's, like I said, she's going to be 17. And so she's been raised in this environment, um, not just because of me, but also because of her biological mother. Medium has, has been very involved with many, many initiatives throughout the years, from doing you know, community theater, like the Vagina Monologues, to doing things on campus at HCC, to being on the board of um, Enlace for about eight years uh, she was actually the director of that. She was the, the chair of that board for many years. And so she's Natalia. Her name is Natalia. Um, Natalia has been surrounded by this in one way or another. Um, she knows that our house is very, very progressive, very liberal. And so, you know, she's been to different events, different marches. Um, she's been to Northampton Pride Prom several times. We have a great picture of her with us when she was about seven. Um, we all had our, you know, pride shirts on. And, and so because this is the way she's been raised, this is what's normal to her. But we also want her to have her own individuality of what makes sense for her. So, for example, uh, recently she decided to get involved with the Holyoke Youth Commission. And so she was a, a youth commissioner. Um, she actually had to step down from that because of work commitments, but she had that experience. She's been, you know, to many, many activities and events with us. But then we also give her the freedom and the flexibility of saying, you know what, I don't, I don't think I want to go to that march today. Um, so I think it's important to have that balance because when it comes to our youth, I, I really think that there has to be a kind of a happy medium between we give them the tools, we share the information with them, and then they decide what to pick up. She's a junior at Holyoke High School, and um, she's been involved with different things there at the school. She's not involved with student government right now, but her best friend is. And so I'm wondering if that is also going to prompt you know, some, some more experiences later on. And maybe, you know, maybe it's in college, maybe it's, maybe it doesn't happen, but um, she's definitely, you know, we've definitely raised her with a level of consciousness that I think that we're really giving her those tools and she can decide what to do with them. So when it is not work at HCC, when it is not a meeting at the city council chambers, how is your for example, a weekend or a time <laughs> oh, off, the a type weekend. of things that you like to do that yeah. doesn't involve work. So if I know we're Facebook friends, so if you see my Facebook feed, I do like to travel a lot. I'm a big, big believer in having experiences and memories. I go to work, I do my work, I do my, you know, my responsibilities. But then the same way I feel that I work hard, I also play hard. So to me, traveling is definitely top of the line there. The beach is, you know, something that I miss terribly from living in Puerto Rico. When I was there, I would go every single Sunday to Ocean Park in Condado. And um, I really, really miss that. But so really travel, the beach. Uh, I love fine dining. I love going to the movies. And even though weekends are weekends, many times they are booked with different responsibilities regarding the city. But that's okay. I mean, that's the decision that I made, and it's something that I really enjoy. I also like to think about ways in which, you know, I, I can motivate others to decide to run as well, because I'm, you know, I'm not going to do this forever. And, and we have a lot of work to do in our own community and even statewide. I mean, if you look about it, but if we just start small with, with our own community here in Holyoke, 
you know, I would love to see more people step up to decide to run for local office. And it's, it's a scary thought because if you've never done it before, a lot of times people say, I don't even know where to start. Well, interestingly enough, shortly after this presidential election and the results, I had women um, from this community and from other areas of Western Mass and actually other states as well who are friends saying, I think it's time that I need to think about running. And so to me, that means that I'm doing my piece of motivating others, of letting people know with my own experience that this is doable, that we don't have to hear, oh, well, you're not equipped for that. And that that goes across all of the identities that we can think about, you know, women, young, um, Latino, you know, GLBT, like those are all, of course, those are all my identities, but I'm also saying that it's, you know, the, the, the landscape of politics looks very, very different than it looked maybe just 10 years ago. And so anything I can do to continue to push that, I will do. I'm thinking as a city councilor, as someone who represents the city, mm -hmm. I wonder if you sometimes get this question from someone who doesn't know anything about Holyoke. What can you tell me about the city of Holyoke in a nutshell? Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes I think the media can be great in the sense of it gets our message out, right? And so if we can have an impact of what that message is and we can change the narrative that many, for many, many years was tied to the city of Holyoke. I mean, when I came here in 95 as an exchange student at UMass Amherst, I was told, you know, be careful going to Holyoke. I mean, that was the narrative, right? And so here we are, you know, all these years later, and I see myself as someone who is out there to market the city of Holyoke. You know, I have people who reach out to me who live in other parts of Western Mass who s literally say, because of the things that I see are happening in Holyoke, because I see that there's progress in this area or that area, you guys are doing a great job on this or on that, literally people are saying, I want to move to Holyoke. I mean, that was not the narrative in the 90s when I was at UMass and, you know, I, I remember the first time I came to Fernandez restaurant and people said, make sure you go during the day, you know, and that was, that was the narrative, right? And, and it's not, it, it's not that it was correct, but it, it, if that's the image, then that's what people get used to. And so one of the things that I always try to focus on is how can we continually improve the image and the reputation of what our city is? And I think one of its biggest assets is its people. I mean, we have a number of people here in the community who have been here their whole life or who have just been here five or 10 years who are really looking to find ways to improve this community on many different levels. You know, things like what you're doing, you know, with, with your projects, with media, you know, things that folks that are getting involved with volunteering who had never gotten involved with anything like that because they felt, well, that doesn't really impact me. Why should I do that? I think there's this cultural shift in terms of the interpretation or the assessment of what the city is. And I think it's upon all of us to continue that, that positive image and that positive narrative that, that we're on. You just disclosed that you are uh, looking up to continue serving as a city councilor. What's in your mind? What are your plans, your goals? What would you like to accomplish continuing this work at the city council? So for me, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things. I, th I see my role as a city councilor as twofold. 
One is my services to my constituents, right? The calls or the texts or the Facebook messages or the emails that I get saying, you know, there's something wrong with my street or I need, you know, help with this with Department of Public Works or I had this experience, you know, at the with something pertaining to the fire department. I need help with this. I need help. That to me is the clear constituent services, which um, I actually had a former city councilor who's uh, no longer on the council with us say to me one day, you need to like chill out a little bit because you're really raising the bar for all of us. And it was kind of a joke, but it was in reality about the, you know, the level of responsiveness as a counselor, the whole, you know, I call people as soon as I can. Uh, they tell me about something, I show up at their house the next day. So, you know, that's just who I am and that's my, that's my style. Um, so to me, the importance of continuing those constituent services is crucial. The other part for me of being a city councilor, in addition to being that voice and, and being at the table, is, you know, what do we do to improve the city in terms of things that we can have power with in terms of legislation? So, you know, if it's our financial uh, situation, if it's, you know, the quality of life issues. And I'll give you an example. When I was in my first term, I met with our former treasurer, who at that point was John Lumbra, and I said, you know, there's this local option meals sales tax that um, is in different communities, and Holyoke doesn't have this. And he said, no, it, it's it hasn't it hasn't really been presented here. And I said, well, I mean, isn't that something that we could kind of pass as as a city council? And he said, absolutely, it's legislation that you know we can do at the local level. And so to me, it was a no-brainer that we needed to look into this because it came with a revenue that we were not taking advantage of. And so in my first term as a city councilor, I uh, filed this order and um, had several of my colleagues co-sponsor it with me. And it was literally about implementing the local option meals tax here in Holyoke. When you go to a restaurant and you're paying your tax, it's 6.25%. And this local option meals tax is adding a 0.75% to your bill to round it off to 7%. This 0.75%, which is pennies, literally stays in the city of Holyoke. And so we had all the surrounding cities and towns, for the most part, in this you know program, and we were not. And so I did the numbers with our treasurer and realized that we were losing about $500,000 a year not having this options meals tax uh, on our books. And so when it was first introduced, you know, of course, people hear tax and forget it. And so I literally had to, you know, do the research, educate my colleagues and have conversations about this is why this is important. People don't realize that one of the biggest business in the city is the Holyoke Mall. Every single restaurant that's there, if they had this tax, these are folks that many don't even live in the city. And here they are consuming, you know, our goods and and being part of this economy, but they're not pitching back in. And so that was one of my selling points and, of course, sharing all the surrounding cities and towns and the money they were making. And so it was a perfect example for me as a new city councilor of ways in which I could look at how to impact positively the revenue for our city. And it was also an opportunity to, even though our, our politics here in the city, in terms of us as elected officials, is nonpartisan, right? You can vote for a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter. Everyone's on the same ballot as a city councilor. It was an opportunity to bring together 
the different factions of the city council, the more conservative, the more liberal, because the common denominator here was this is about bringing money to the city. So the day of the vote, after much conversations and lobbying, we actually passed it. We only needed eight votes and we passed it with 11. So 11 of us out of 15 uh, voted in favor of this sales tax, the meals tax. Um, Two people were absent and two people voted against it. And because of that piece of legislation, we now have an extra $500,000 that comes back to the city of Holyoke that can be used for our own infrastructure and for projects here that can take care of all the needs of the different communities. So to me, that was a perfect example of things that could get accomplished, you know, that were bringing in the community, bringing in a collaboration. And to do something like that in the first term was really, I mean, people literally said to me, you took a huge risk because the idea was if if I was upsetting people about this whole money piece, did that mean that I wasn't going to get reelected? And so the reason I say that story is because you asked, you know, what are my plans? So this is the best way I can summarize it. I do this work not thinking about, will this action not get me reelected? I always think about it as, who is it impacting? What is the conversation we need to have about it now and later? And who is this really going to benefit or not? And so I've made some very difficult decisions in the two terms I've been there um, for in terms of votes, in terms of what I have stood up with or uh, what I have stood up against. And at the same time, I just see it as if I don't do it this way, then I'm not doing it for the right reasons. So I wouldn't narrow it down to what are my plans. I mean, I always want to look at ways in which I can continue to improve the quality of life issues in the ward, continue to improve our city as a whole, financially and, and in other ways. And so I always tell my constituents, I need to hear from you what is important to you, because what may be important to me is not important to you. And at the same time, we need to see how these decisions are impacting everyone. So that's, that's what I would say is, is my plan, is I never do anything thinking of, is this going to hurt me getting reelected or not? Because if I think about it that way, then I'm doing this for the wrong reasons. How can constituents, and in general, people in the community, reach out to you? Well, <laughs> I'm very available. I'm very, very accessible. Um, people, you know, first of all, um, just so everyone knows that's, that's hearing uh, out there, the information of city councilors is public information. So if you go to the City of Holyoke website and you literally look at the list of city councilors, it tells you our phone numbers, our addresses, and our email addresses. So you can find your city councilor, and you should. I mean, if you have a suggestion, if you have a complaint, I hear so many people say, well, I don't want to bother them or I call them and they don't get back to me. That's why I'm calling you. It's like, that's not how it works. You know, we're, we're all elected officials. We're all here to do a job. And if people are not doing that job, then they need to be held accountable. And so people can always reach me. Um, like I said, our contact info is, is on the City of Holyoke website, but I mean, I get phone calls, texts, Facebook messages, emails. I get letters at home. You know, sometimes from our seniors, I get handwritten letters at home saying, thanking me, you know, for a vote that I took on something that was really important to them. One of the biggest, you know, emotional 
pieces of, of legislation and, and the two terms I've been there was the whole piece of the incorporation of a Polish historic district here in Holyoke, which did not pass. And I was always a big supporter of it. And you would not believe the amount of letters and phone calls that I still receive from seniors that, you know, are second generation, you know, residents here in the city who, you know, their their grandfather built, helped build you know, the church or, you know, that that emotional piece. And so getting those letters at home, getting those um, phone calls is amazing. You know, getting a phone call from one of my constituents who just turned 100 recently telling me that a city councilor had never been to her house when she had called about something that she needed help with. It was literally paperwork. I mean, it was paperwork for uh, an agency here in the city. and, And she she needed assistance. And so instead of me saying, oh, well, you need to go here, you need to go there, you know, I'm not going to send her on a cat and mouse, you know, search. I said, I can stop by your house tomorrow, you're going to be there, you know, and so to her, the fact that I went to her house was so unreal, you know, and she said, in in the 100 years of age I have, no one has ever come here to literally help me with something. And so it's those little things that, you know, you just, you never know how you're impacting someone. Um, I had a a constituent the other day who we have a a Facebook page that is private and it's only for Ward 4 residents, just for security reasons, so that people can share freely about, you know, concerns if there's criminal activity or anything like that. And she posted that um, her dog had escaped from her backyard. She had a a fenced-in backyard and he got out. And so she posted about it. She posted a picture of him. And she said, what else should I do? And I told her, you know, you should call the animal control officer. You should reach out to this animal shelter. They post pictures of the dogs and, you know, that people return. And so I gave her all these different resources and they found the dog. And so to me, it was, I, you know, it became a joke. And we said, OK, so we'll add to the list of city councilor duties, finding your constituents dog. Um, and it sounded like a joke. But in reality, it's just a perfect example of how you never know what it is at that moment that is important for that resident. And so to me, it's always about nothing is too simple or too complicated enough to warrant my time and my listening. And if I can't figure it out for you, I will try my best to, you know, pass it on to somebody who can. Um, and, and that's part of this whole helping circle, which I see uh, should be the baseline for all of us as elected officials. Leading by example, being such an inspiration, such strong leadership for the community, it is something that we really need in this city, in this world in general. So I want to thank you for all this effort you do thank every you. day through everything you do. It is, like I said, such an inspiration. And of course, thanking you for this time to share your story, to talk about what is important for you Mm-hmm. that also is important for, for this city. So, and, I, and I need to thank my sidekick, which is my wife, because, I mean, if she's not involved in something with me, which she is many times, she's always, you know, holding the fort back at home to make sure that I can do whatever I need to do. And so it's, you know, I'm very, very lucky. We're a great team together. You know, I would not be able to do this work without her. So just a, a shout out to my favorite sidekick there, Miriam Quinones. <laughs> Well, this is all the time we have today. I want to thank City Councilor Josie Valentin for her time and her words here on our podcast. Thank you so much for for being here with us. Thank you so much. Gracias. Well, this is the Radio Plasma podcast. This episode was produced at the Plasma Media Lab at the Gandhara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Massachusetts. 
Listen at radioplasma.com. Also available.